Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Hey, it's Guy here, and you're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MKT Call. It's a video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday, live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we are joined by Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young from SoFi for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media on YouTube so you never miss an episode. Woohoo! I think that's what the kids say. I don't say that. I don't think I've ever used that expression in my life up until now. That's 58 years and about eight months or thereabouts. But Dan Nathan is back from Rome, Italy, on parts unknown if you're a worldwide wrestling fan. This is Market Call. It's Q9. Now, I mentioned Q, obviously, the letter for August. And why do I mention that? Because it's CME Day. And today's Market Call is brought to you by CME Group, Dan, where, in fact, risk meets opportunity. We're powered by Open Exchange. I'm powered by life. I'm so geeked up. You're back. How are you? I'm fired up to be back. with you. Guy, you know, my trip through Italy, your homeland, yeah. or half of your mm-hmm. homeland, it would have not have been what it was without some of your guidance, buddy. I didn't get to the other half. I didn't get to Sicily, um, but it seems like, you know, I'm going to be doing some heavy lifting in September. Just so you know, people, get ready for this, because Guy is going to be taking the Michael Corleone tour of mm-hmm. Sicily mm-hmm. in September here. But I had the Gaiadami tour of Rome and some other parts in and around that area. It was it was fabulous. So thanks for thanks for all the heavy lifting, Well, buddy. you know, that's what we do. I'm going to see Don Tomasino while I'm there for you fans, maybe Jenko, who knows. But, what you know, listen, it's neither here nor there. By the way, Yankees got back on the winning track last night. That augurs well as we move through August. Dan, I know you don't care. Market seems to care. Marco Kalanovic. I always have trouble saying that name. but Marco this time. He did a nice job. He's pretty bit, you know, you know, I don't want to say perma anything. He's typically pretty bullish, but yeah. guess what, Dan? He interestingly said, came out last night, pared down in stocks, maybe time to get into the commodity world. Thoughts as you return? Yeah, no, I think it's pretty interesting. You know, I, I left on, I think it was uh, July 30th, and the S&P is basically in the same spot it was where I left, and, and it really did a lot of sideways action. I think some of the heavy lifting, or at least the stuff that was grabbing the headlines guy, was like some of the squeezier sort of stuff, right? Where, you know, some of the names that we've been talking about, the growthier sort of stuff, so you saw that sort of outperformance, and, you know, listen, Marco, I think, has um, a great feel for markets and i think the stuff that he looks at in his seat um, as the head of quantitative derivatives over at uh, jp he sees a lot of interesting stuff so i think he probably sees this as what you and i see it you had a great call you were saying 4100 
4,200 or so in the S&P 500. Well, that's exactly where the S&P futures, if you look at that chart right there, have kind of, you know, stalled out a little bit, made a little bit of a flag here. And so, you know, I, I think it makes sense. I mean, the commodity thing, we're going to get into crude, we're going to get into inflation, we're going to get into the dollar, you know, that could have something to do with that. But I think really the other issue with going into the commodities guy it's just about growth. Like, what are the ex- expectations? How are you feeling right now? Because we're starting to see, you know, corporate earnings that weren't as bad as expected for Q2. Guidance that was, I think, less than exciting. I think the visibility was anything but clear mm-hmm. going forward. And that's going to be the story. And so if you tell me that growth is coming back, then I get it. Then get back into commodities. But isn't that okay for stocks that are also trading? If you look at some of the fact set data about where the S&P multiple is, is relative to the five and 10 year averages, it's below both. Yeah, well below. it's listen, I don't think um, in, in where we are right now, I don't think earnings expectations or valuations are that much of a concern. But I'll say this, the, the quarters that we saw weren't great. The price action on the back of them were great. And listen, I will say that in terms of Google, and I think you would agree with this, yeah. that we've seen a number of better quarters over the years. I mean, I could probably pull out five where the stock reaction in the aftermath was not nearly as significant as what we've seen here. And that speaks to just probably an oversold setup and and things just bouncing from levels that maybe they shouldn't have been at the time. But that doesn't suggest that earnings were gangbusters by any stretch. And you've brought this up a number of times. I mean, you go back and look at the Apple quarter. It wasn't great. I mean, it's great by other company standards, but by Apple standards, not at all. And you're talking about 2% revenue growth year over year, which is something Apple hasn't seen maybe ever. So the stock reactions have been very good. I don't think the earnings were nearly as commensurate to the move. The other thing that I think is interesting, and you mentioned we traded up to levels I thought we'd get to, and seemingly we're stalling. And I thought yesterday, Dan, was a really interesting day. You had obviously a big move up early, gave most of it back, if not all of it back towards the end of the day. And now we're sort of rolling over here. I think yesterday's going to be one of those days you sort of bookmark, and in a month or so from now, you come back and say, you know, it was early August that we saw the rollover. With that said, volatility index doesn't make any sense to me. We've talked about it for a while. I mean, it got all the way down like a 21 handle or so, seemingly hitting around levels we should hold. I think the complacency out there as measured by the VIX is... Yeah. Interesting in a word, but scary in another word that I'd choose to use. Yeah, well, I guess the thing that I'd say, Guy, again, just looking at the market here and what I see, I see a NASDAQ that's getting hurt. It's down one and a half percent. But I see Apple and Microsoft that are both unchanged on the mm-hmm. day. And and that's how you get to a 22 VIX, right, where it's just kind of stead, you know, it's just not doing a whole heck of a lot. The S&P is down 60 basis points right now. And so those moves in Microsoft and Apple, again, to your point, I think they're really helping the broad uh, market here. But here's one thing I caught. I caught this Carter Braxton Worth, our friend. He did some also some some yeoman's work, as you mm. might say, while I was gone, um, taking up the reins a couple times here. But he had this note out last night that was interesting about um, small caps versus large caps. He was talking about the relative outperformance of the IWM, um, the Russell 2000, and the small cap land versus the S&P 500, the SPY. And I thought this was interesting, guy, because you you know you made a very prescient call. You know you just said this way. Like, you know you're gonna want to look back. You want to bookmark this or footnote mm-hmm. yesterday or whatever. You said that about the Russell. This was late 
late last year, and you said that breakout when it failed after a long period of underperformance was very telling, and you thought large caps were going to follow suit. Well, here we are now. The Russell's kind of breaking out, you know, broke out of that downtrend that it's been in here, um, you know, massively outperformed the S&P over the last few weeks or so. What do you make of that call here? Because it's also a tough one, I think, for listeners and viewers of market call to kind of trade, right? Because we think of the market, or at least equities, as a monolith, right? And so if the S&P is going to go down, well, the Russell is probably going to go down too. And usually when it goes down, the Russell goes down more than the S&P. Yeah, so let's take a quick look at that chart. You have it up, but it's full screen, this thing, because I think it's worth taking a look at. We obviously have a moving average. It's sloping lower without question. You saw that trend line that we drew, that down trend line it's been broken to the upside but i will tell you over the last six months or so we've seen many lines like this broken to the upside only to do what we call in the business dan a back and fill and i think that's what's going to happen here i think we exhaust ourselves at what i believe is the 200 day moving average and i think we trade back down to that trend line and we'll see what happens when we get there and i think that will coincide with an s p 500 giving up the ghost here as well so i think you're right it's difficult to trade the rty the IWM, uh, whatever instrument you're looking at. But with that said, you absolutely have to have these up on your screen to sort of get a handle on what's going on. So maybe there's a little room left in the upside. I think it exhausts itself. I think it trades back down to that downtrend line, and we'll see what happens when it gets there. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it probably has something to do with yields also, and we're going to talk a little bit about yields. But well, I guess when yields were rising precipitously last year, I mean, the small caps did not like it, right? Mm-hmm. Investors did not want to be there. And so now here we are. We have, you know, the 10 years obviously come in pretty um, substantially from those recent highs a couple months ago. So maybe that has something um, to do with that. But here's the, here's the big news. And this is a story, and I know you got you and Carter covered it yesterday on Market Call. You were talking about that uh, revenue guide that, that, that NVIDIA offered. Mm-hmm. And I know that they're reporting a couple of weeks. But here we are, followed up by Micron. Micron reported guy on June 30th. And they had actually pretty decent numbers and pretty decent guidance. So when you look at what Amanda highlighted here, you know, what they had to say, this is Micron about customers reducing their own inventory. So it really kind of led us to believe that we thought demand was really strong. We thought the supply was really, this is over the last year or so, right? Really constrained here. There was obviously a bit of double order and we've been talking about that. But for this company to pre-announce, I guess the quarter about five weeks into it, talk to me about that because here's a company that does not trade at a fat multiple like NVIDIA, right? And um, to me, it's down what? At its lows, it's down 55% or so. a nice bounce off the bottom. What do you do with Micron? What do you do with the semis? Because I look at that chart, and as Carter would say, to the penny, yeah. that breakdown in June was right at the October lows, and look where we got re- where, where it rejected last week. You know what I mean? And here we are breaking that uptrend. We've had a lot of conversation. We get a lot of questions about the socks. Uh, we discussed it yesterday. You know, if Carter showed a chart where basically the downtrend is still intact and on a certain chart that he put up literally traded to the penny on the reversal higher and now seemingly rolling over think about what micron just said to your point and how quickly the world seemingly has changed beneath their feet you said they report at the end of june four and a half five weeks later here we are nvidia the same type of thing they're going to report in a couple of weeks we've seen terrible quarters out of intel makes you wonder if the semis can't rally in this environment and if they're telling you demand is slowing or there's been some double ordering. I don't think that augurs particularly well, not only for the S&P 500, obviously, but the NASDAQ as well. So what do you do with this chart? I think you sell it again. And we mentioned it on Fast Money last night. 
NVIDIA bottomed out at 145, traded up to, I think, 196 or so. I think that's headed right back down to those recent lows as well, as I think Micron is headed down. And by the way, AMD, which was in a very distinct downtrend as well since November, looked like it broke out on the back of the second day after earnings and now giving that all back as well. These charts don't look good, and it's very hard to build a bullish argument in the broader market if the semis are going to give it up here. Well, just to be clear, you know, if you're talking about NVIDIA going back to those recent lows, that recent low was below 150. The stock 145, I think, right? Yeah. No, you're right. And and the stock rallied 37% mm-hmm. to its highs just made last week or those recent highs. And so when you think about those charts, look at this Micron chart. We have a five-year though, Guy. This kind of helps tell that story a little bit. That 2018 high, that is also where it got rejected. So not only is that level where Micron just got rejected, short-term resistance, right? It's also long-term resistance. And if you think that semis in general are kind of early cycle, cyclical sort of names, and you're seeing guide down, you know, like a month or so after the company's just gone. It just tells you how little visibility they have. And, you know, maybe this has to do with China and weakening growth, and maybe it has to do with zero COVID, and maybe it has to do with a recession that's probably going on in Europe right now, or one that we might be into. Um, Again, it's pretty confusing. And I think if you think about how stocks acted in general, coming out of Q2 earnings season, I think that sentiment was so bad, Guy, and we talked about this, heading into it, it didn't take a whole heck of a lot for it to bounce. But when you think about Apple and Microsoft and the moves that they had, right, that helped kind of put a bottom in the stock market. I'll just say this, you know, you heard me a lot in the spring, probably starting in early May, talking about Qs and twos. That was my trade. That's how I was playing. I was buying the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100 ETF, and I was buying, you know, treasury bond ETFs, which was a play on yields going lower. I think that trade's played out. I am out of both. The QQQ and the GOVT, that was the trade in which I was expressing lower yield, higher prices for treasuries. And I really do think that we are going to start to come back and retest those lows because I think the earnings picture gets worse before it gets better. And the data that we're going to start to see, I think even though and we're going to talk about inflation, whether it peaked or not, doesn't really matter. I think we see a weak globe right now as it relates to global. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about CPI in a second. But look, look throw up an SM, we have an SMH chart as well. Well, I think yeah. take a look at this if you want. Again, proof positive as to what's going on. You look at that, you can see the very distinct downtrend we've been in basically since late December. And you can look at it and see, wow, that is a nice downtrend. Traded up to that level with past support becomes resistance. Again, a moving average that's seemingly rolling over. I don't think it augurs particularly well. And I'm not trying to be dogmatic here. I'm just looking at things. I'm trying to read the tea leaves. And when you hear from an AMD. You hear from an NVIDIA. You hear from a Micron. Micron, by the way, which historically extraordinarily cyclical name that becomes very commoditized very quickly. They seemingly got out of that. They're right back in that rut. And watch how quickly that stock can trade lower. I mean, we've seen it historically move extraordinarily fast. And I think we're seeing that again. So when semis roll over, it typically means the NASDAQ will roll over, which typically means the broader market will roll over at a certain point. I think it manifests itself in Apple and Microsoft, which I think got way ahead of themselves on the back of those earnings releases. Yeah. All right. Speaking of releases, we have the big CPI print for Mm -hmm. July that comes out tomorrow. We know that it was an eye-popping number for June when we got that in early July. Um, There was lots of talk about peak inflation, guy. It can't get much higher than 9%, could it? I don't know. It was 40-year highs 
or so. You probably remember 40 years ago what it felt like when you had double yeah, I had digit. Yeah, my, my in- 50th birthday party. I remember when we had the peak number. So <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. But, but, but what's your take on this? Because again, you know, I thought that Elon Musk comments last week, um, you know, this was, he started the summer out by saying that the economy was likely in a recession. He was talking a lot of crap about, you know, basically his own business and some of the headwinds that they have. And when I say crap, I don't really mean crap. I mean, just in general. And then when he just started tweeting, I think it was last week or the week before that, that some of the inflationary pressures, um, at least from their suppliers, they're starting to abate a little bit. And he thinks it kind of peaked. Does that kind of really matter in a way when you think about these companies that are being faced with a whole host of different kind of headwinds and it's not just inflationary pressures no i mean there are a lot of things no no question about it listen 9.1 and i said this at the time i said that's probably going to be the high print we see hopefully you know for many years but definitely for the foreseeable future number one and i believe that um i also believe that we'll probably come in in the mid sixes or so which is obviously significantly lower than we were last month i get that as well problem is the Fed's mandate, what they've said, is 2% is where we want to get. And I got it. The 9% to 6% is one thing. 6% to 4% is going to take a lot of time. And forget about 4% to 2%. So, yes, inflation headwinds are posing a huge concern for companies. But there's so many other things out there as well that you just named. So, yeah. again, I don't want to get bogged down in this. Inflation's a problem. And I think a lot of this rally we've seen has been predicated on the belief that the Fed can sort of take their foot off the gas, given the fact that commodities have sold off and those types of things. And I said it on Fast Money. I've said it on Market Call. If you think the Fed is your friend here, or if yeah. you think they're magically going to pivot, I got to say, think again. All right. Here's a question for you, buddy. Oh, I right. like this so, game. So that, that July number <clears throat> definitely outperformed. It was supposed to have an eight handle on it, right? It had a nine handle. So here we are right now. CPI year over year expected to be 8.7%, but X food and energy 6.1%. Okay. So you tell me if the if that number, that 8.7 estimate, right, it has a nine handle on it. And let's just say that X food and energy is somewhere well above or, okay, where does the S&P 500, what does it do? Because it, then it starts pricing in a more hawkish Fed. We're going to look at what the CME Fed Watch tool is predicting for the September meeting. We know that at the end of August, we have that kind of um, that uh, Jackson Hole meeting or whatever, they might signal some sort of shift. But what does the market do tomorrow if we have a hot number? And what does it do if we have a slightly weaker number? 105 S&P handles lower, given the first thing you said. If both, if, if core and X food and energy yeah. come out hotter than people think, I'm telling you now, given the run we've had, the market will be down triple digits in the S&P. Again, north of 100, less than 125, because that's typically been the range we've seen for moves of that magnitude. If it somehow comes in magically with a high seven handle or a mid five handle X, then the market can probably rally in it. You probably get north of 4,200. I don't think either outcome is going to happen, but that answers your question. I'll say this though, if it comes out as expected, maybe you get a knee jerk bounce, but I think people will come to the realization, wait a second, inflation is still a problem. We're not going to hear from these people until Jackson Hole and then again in September. But they have a lot of they have a lot of wood to chop. And I think the market's going to come to that realization. 
Yeah. All right. Let's talk about yields, though. Pretty cogent answer, by no, the way. It was, it was a great answer. Oh, listen, and, and I agree with that. I just also think that going back to where the VIX is at 22, and you've been talking about the move index, the volatility in the bond market, you know, uh, and treasuries in particular. Madness. You know, well, I mean, listen, that has to likely kind of, you know, suggest that we're going to likely see, you know, increased volatility in the equity markets, especially if we continue to have hot data. Um, on the economic front, but weakening earnings data. And that is what we will have if we have a hot CPI um, print tomorrow, which brings me to the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. We can talk about the 210 spread. Obviously, it's at those levels we haven't seen basically in decades okay it's it's from mm -hmm. you know early 20 uh early 2000 or so is what 50 wide that that spread there but look at the 10-year guy and you look at that downtrend that it's been in right since the spring here we just bounced off a of support which was what 2.6 percent but i think the 10-year obviously reflects the fact that growth is you know weakening here a little bit and you know the two-year is what up there above three percent or so so my, my my question is what do you yields do tomorrow on a hot number i mean you know because you know we're still getting this weakening earnings outlook and then mm -hmm. if we do see a hot print again it goes back to strong economic data two year doing? two year goes um if, again given the guidelines you just put out yeah. two year goes north of 3.4 i think and i do think 10 years can stay where they are maybe even go a little bit lower well listen we have said for quite some time here on Market Call, we've said it on, on the tape, that we thought the inversion would get to 50 basis points or thereabouts. Yeah. I thought it would be in the form of 2.5 in the 10-year, 3% uh, in the 2-year. I actually got close at one point. Now you it did. looks like it's going to be you know, sort of 25, 30 basis points higher on both. But that's okay. And that's not bullish. That I don't care what anybody tells you, Dan. That's not bullish. And I will tell you this, and we mentioned it on Market Call yesterday, Something's going on with the big money center banks. JP Morgan has not traded particularly well. Bank of America not traded particularly well during this bounce in the broader market. That's telling you something, I think, and you've yeah. got to keep your eyes on those names as well. So given what you just put out, that's what I think is going to happen. It's funny. You know, you say that. I was actually looking at the banks earlier, and they do seem to be, like, basing a little bit, Guy. You Maybe. know what I mean? It, yeah. You know, I mean, like, and today, you know, they're, they're pretty pretty decently i would say relative to the broad market here they're up and especially on a day where you see some other rate sensitive names like the home builders absolutely getting killed i see toll brothers down three and a half percent lennar now two and a half percent and some of the related names in the complex so the the xhb the etf that tracks the group is down three and a quarter percent so banks showing some relative strength today a lot today. of those fintechy yeah. names the ones that are kind of thought to be like kind of um i don't know subprime lending or so you know carvana upstart affirm they're all getting wiggity whacked as the kids say i see affirm down seven percent upstart down eleven percent and carvana down over ten and a half percent so you're definitely seeing a bit of a disparity and i wonder does that have to do with valuation in your opinion i think it has to do with delinquencies in my and yeah. you know i think that's what's going on if you really start to read the tea leaves i mean that's what's happening here people are getting behind in their payments it makes sense i mean we're at that part of the cycle valuation's been a concern for a while and you're right today specifically the banks are outperforming i get it but again since this market rallied from that june 15th low i mean jp morgan's only gone from effectively 106 which was a recent 52 week low to current levels that's not an awe-inspiring rally given what the broader market has done same thing with bank of america and some of these other names whereas for example goldman sachs which we highlighted on market call went from 275 but prior to earnings and we thought they'd be able to trade their way out 
north of 330 now. So that's clearly uh, been the place to be. So there's just a lot of real weird cross currents going on. And again, if the banks are showing concern, at least the way they're trading is showing concern about maybe the consumer or, or credit or those types of things, it's absolutely worth keeping an eye on. So yes, today you're right, but over the last you know week, last month and a half, two months, not so good. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about. So if inflation is peaking, even though it's going to be a, you know elevated relative to year ago levels, I mean one of the big stories as far as the inflationary picture is obviously energy, and we got to take a look at crude. We talk about it nearly every day or so, but I see crude oil trading about ninety here, guys, down mm-hmm. about twenty seven percent from the highs made in June. It's still up a little. Uh, I don't know, about 19% on the year or so. Um, you see it's kind of just hanging around that kind of February consolidation level before we had that parabolic move higher. So I'd say that's key support, but very well-defined downtrend here. We see gas at the pump trending lower. I think a month ago, the national average was about 5 bucks. It's below $4 right now or so. So has the Fed, did, have they earned the right guy to say mission accomplished here, buddy? I mean, they did they did their job. Yeah, I like what you did there. You're trying to get me all amped up, bit, which is not going to work. Um, I yeah, I mean, listen, crude, absolutely, crude's come down. Gasoline prices have absolutely come down, no question about it. I'll tell you, though, rents haven't come down, and yeah. so that's a huge component of this thing as well. So part of their job is being done for them without question. Other parts of their job, not so much. In terms of crude, you've had a wonderful call for the last three or four months. You didn't think there was any way we'd be able to sustain those higher prices and Tom Sosnoff, who we've obviously brought on the last few weeks, is in the same camp. And he thinks the path of least resistance continues to be lower. You drew the line. That's support. Uh, you know, through that line on the downside, it probably gets down another 15% or so. If we hold here, I think we can see a meaningful bounce. But you have to sort of wait, unfortunately, I think. And the OIH is not backing it up. You know, that's been floundering around 225, 230. So, Nothing's really shouting out to me. You have to be in energy right now, but this is a critical level in the underlying commodity. Yeah, well, another you know critical input is what's, what's going on with the dollar. And I just really want to quickly, we talked about that the Fed is not meeting until September right now. We know that Fed funds is about two or is two and a half percent. And if you look at what the CME Fed Watch tool is expecting for that Fed meeting, a very, you know, better than a 50% chance that they go over 50 basis points, right? That would get us above 3%. You know, they talked about what the neutral rate is. You were just talking about inflation, you know, however they want to monitor. And that was the big story, I guess, as we were thinking about inflationary readings over the last month is just that, okay, or GDP readings or all this stuff that goes into it. It's like no one has a lot of confidence, I guess, as far as the calculations or how they're measuring it. But to your point is that when we see what's going on with rents or we see some of these other inputs, you know, fine, gas can come in at the pump, but we still have these pressures. We know healthcare is still very high, all that sort of stuff. No question. Listen, without question, right? And in terms of the dollar, I think you're right to bring it up. Again, uh, I think you play the dollar. If you think this CPI number is going to be hot, I think the dollar explodes high, not explodes higher, but I think the dollar holds this uptrend line like a boss, as they say, and continues the upward trajectory. If somehow this thing comes in tepid or cool, um, I think what people will say is, you know what, the Fed's job is getting done for it. They're not going to have to be as aggressive, which is going to put downward pressure on the dollar. So that's how I would play it. But if you're asking me how to trade the dollar here, I think you still play it from the long side. That trend line is intact. The moving averages are moving higher. You're going to call this, because I know you, a hungry alligator. The question is, when does the alligator eat? 
So you know me, I, I'm a bit of a contrarian here. And, you know, on most things as it relates to crude or the market, and I'm not a contrarian for the sake of it. I've been in the markets for 25 years. And I guess what I don't like are parabolic moves or crashes lower, uh, depending upon what the news flow is and what the expectations are. And when I see this, it's like, it seems like everyone's fairly well convinced that the dollar is going to continue to go higher because the Fed is going to remain hawkish in the face of increasingly bad economic data or hot data, if you will. And I guess if you just look at the story of crude and you look at the story of other commodities, whether it be ags or industrial commodities over the last year, I guess a lot of the input suggests, well, they should continue to go higher, but they haven't, Guy, right? And so I'm a big into mean reversions in a way. And so sooner or later, if the data comes in hotter, but the dollar doesn't rally and yields continue to go lower as it relates to the 10 year or whatever, I would expect the hungry alligator to eat pretty soon and the dollar is going to break that uptrend. And it's going to come at a time where I think investors are maybe a little bit off sides and that keeps things kind of going a little further. So I get it. I played it on the long side through the UUP, the ETF that tracks the Dixie. We know that you know 50% of that ETF is the Euro. And I'd also expect guy at some point, the data in Europe to be less bad. And when the data in Europe gets less bad, that's when risk assets and the sentiment that's been so poor, they probably start moving the other way a little bit. There was a um, CNBC contributor that once said uh, in response to a question, the data doesn't matter. And to this day, it haunts me uh, because- of Who was it? You, you, you want to name names? I, You're I not going to name names? I, I'm not going to. I won't All do right. it here. I think folks out there probably know who of of who I speak. Anyway, I'm with you. No, I, you're not a contrarian for contrarian's sake. Your point is you've been doing this long enough to see mean reversion. It happens all the time. Yeah. And it's it makes sense to think it's going to happen here in the dollar as well. What I don't think it's happening, though, in is my fave and Ooh, yours soon you to be fave. That's the yeah. gold market, Dan. Yeah. And this, like a boss that sucker held, we talked about the potential for a short-term double bottom. That's seemingly coming to fruition. Now, Danny Moses, who, by the way, will be on CNBC's Fast Money this evening yeah, at 5 p.m. Tune in. Um, he's been talking about this as well. And his bull case for gold is the following. You know, if the Fed acquiesces here and pivots, that's bullish for gold. The flip side is if the Fed loses control, that's bullish for gold. And I'm sort of with him on that. Sort of that old adage in the NFL, in terms of the forward pass, three things can happen and two of them are bad for you folks playing at home. And I think Danny feels the same way here in terms of the Fed and subsequently what it means for gold to the upside. Well, let, let's talk about gold for one second. So, you know, we had on our On The Tape podcast, I think it was about a month ago, guys. Do you remember this? We were all in studio and we kind of made a bet on the next, uh, you know, mm -hmm. well, he wanted to bet me like big money. And I'm like, listen, if you want to bet the big money, just bet, trade the futures. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, like, like what? But at the time he was saying, and I think we were just above 1800 or so um, in the commodity. He thought the next hundred would be higher. I thought the next hundred would be lower. I was right. I didn't take the bet. Okay. But I said still lower and look where it bottomed out just on that, like kind of that, that one day where things got a little nasty mm -hmm. a few weeks ago, just below 1700, but it did have a big reversal and now it's had a big rally. If you look at the one year, this is a year and a half chart just to show that double bottom, but that 200 day guy is basically flatlined at 1839. I mean, so going back to this, or excuse me, from the start of this year. So you might see through the 50-day, get to the 200 and the 100-day, but that's your 1840 level or something. I just don't see it kind of going meaningfully higher from there. That's fair. Listen, you've been you've been so right on this for a long time. It's very hard for me to um, to do the counter-argument 
and to bet against you. What I'll say is this. I'm sort of with Danny on this one. I think we're at a place where this inflection point now where the bull case for gold is out there. It's just a question if the price cooperates, and I think it will. I will tell you what has been cooperating, nice segue guy, has been Bitcoin. And I think part of the rally in Bitcoin has been predicated on the fact that a lot of people think this Fed is going to pause or pivot or whatever you want to call it. And I think that's what's caused Bitcoin to go from that 17.5 lower thereabouts up to, I think, north of almost north of 24,000 and where we're currently trading now. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I look at this chart and, and I watch Bitcoin closely. I don't own it. I don't have a position in it. I do own ETH. And, um, you know, I started buying it again in May and I started buying it, guy, just, you know, at 2000. I bought it all the way down to 1870 or excuse me, 870 or so. So I was mm -hmm. averaging in. Um, I do have a pretty like decent little trade on right here with some gains. And I, I, I am expecting um, maybe a move back towards those levels where I started buying. And at that point, I'd probably take some profits. There is a catalyst. They have this merge from proof of work to proof of stake that should start to happen over the next few weeks or so. But Bitcoin, to me, I look at this chart of the Bitcoin futures that are listed on the CME guide, Dami, and I say to myself, man, oh, man, like that level just below 30,000, I think it was like 28 five or something like that that is massive resistance right and it just can't really get going it did have a nice little bounce what did it get as low as maybe eighteen thousand or so and here we are at twenty three thousand. it just doesn't feel great to me though i'm with you and again if i think if inflation comes in hotter than expected i think that's going to be another leg lower for bitcoin yeah. if you're asking me my opinion you mentioned by the way Proof of stake, you know, I don't know what any of this means, but what I'll tell you is to this day, the best steakhouse in New York City still resides on the east side don't on 46th Sparks. Street. Don't that would be Sparks. Sparks Steakhouse. What are you talking Probably about? Probably the best wine list uh, in New York City. Yeah, but guy, you and I are having a very important stake on Thursday after the Fast Money. We're going to be dining with one of our good friends, Karen Feinerman, for Fast, and we all chose one of our kids to join us as our kind of couple. Like, like so, me by by laying this out here right now, this makes it that you have to go, guy, Dami. You know That's that true. you have well, to as, go. As they say, Dan, there are two things in life you have to do. You have to die. I mean, we all do that. Yeah. And unless you're elected officials or nefarious, you have to pay taxes. Outside of that, everything appears to be a choice. But I will be there. We're going to like, what do they call that? Post Charles. Isn't that where they filmed General Hospital? The the four Charles prime ribs. Oh, and Charles. just so you know, if you eat enough with me, you will die sooner than you hope. So that is also a certainty. One last thing before we get out of here. We just mentioned Bitcoin and the move it's had. Um, you know, the move in Coinbase. And, and the reason I'm bringing up Coinbase is because they report after the close tonight, guy. The implied move in the options market is about... I don't know, $16 in either direction. That's just for tomorrow. You were mentioning it earlier today, that move that it's had, it got above that downtrend that had been in place from November. You've mentioned on many occasions that that, the way Bitcoin sold off starting in November, it was specifically because of the, ped, the Fed pivot. We've seen volumes go down in all sorts of cryptos here. And the more losses that people have, the less money they have to trade, the less volumes are in general. It's just kind of this kind of virtuous cycle, if you will. What's your take on, on, on the Coinbase here? Because that is a pretty powerful 
breakout above, you know, above that downtrend, you see that support that had kind of been banging around here. If the numbers are better expected, they have been cutting costs. They've been yeah. cutting people, that sort of thing. Is there a bullish scenario for yeah. this thing after the, after Look, the rally intent? Absolutely. I mean, it's the, the BlackRock deal, right? I believe it was the BlackRock deal recently that I saw. I mean, the stock has doubled off, doubled off the lows. I mean, think about that, but it's probably still down. I don't know, 70% or so from its all-time high. Not that any of those numbers mean anything. To your point, anything in line or anything um, constructive or not catastrophic, I think the stock goes up to $16 or effectively you know, 18% or so from current levels. So I think if you really want to play the $100 table here, yeah. the momentum's on your side to the upside in Coinbase. Yeah, the only problem is, and again, when I just said the implied move in the options market is about $16 with the stock at 88, the at the money weekly, okay, that expire on Friday, the put is about eight bucks and the call is about eight bucks. So if you wanted to define your risk to $8, you know, with the stock at 88, let's just say you were bullish and you bought that call, you only need half of the implied move, okay, about a 10% move or so, about eight and change or so. So if you bought that call, let's say, with the stock at 88 for $8, you'd need a rally above 96 by Friday's close to make money. Or if you bought the put, you need to move below 80 or so um, by Friday's close. And that's kind of how the math works if you wanted to find your risk. That's a tough trade. What I find really interesting, Guy, is that this stock encapsulates two huge like kind of meme situations right meme you see what i did there the memes the meme that sort of thing it's the crypto and then it's also like meme stocks if you will and so if the company even after all the cost cutting were to miss and guide down and they don't sound particularly great if they use the term crypto winter again that stock's going back towards those recent lows. And I think that'll be a broader, I think it'll be a good kind of indicator for some of this other frothier sort of sentiment stuff that had big rallies over the last month or so. It sounds like a perfect trade to do a risk reversal in. Oh, See what I, I saw did you there? Did. I saw you And did you know, there. you want to risk more or risk less to make, to make more, more, whatever. That, that's op- that's options action, came buddy. Up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, Amanda, I won the bet. Actually, Amanda won the bet. I thought we'd go to about 147 today or no. thereabouts. So obviously, we're going to be a, a tad light, but we clearly blew past the 30 minutes allotted to us, not by anybody in particular, just what we like to do because we like to be steadfast. When I say 30 minutes on the clock, you try to be true, but sometimes you go into overtime. By the way, um, if you're a Kevin Durant fan out there or a Brooklyn Net fan, I mean, get a new team. That's a disaster. I mean, that's an embarrassment uh, to the NBA. You know, you sign a contract, you adhere to it, number one. Number two, really scared of the Mets right now, playing some good ball. The Reds suck. The Mets are going to continue to beat up on these teams. Really scaring me a little bit. The thought of the Mets in October against the Yankees terrifies me as a Yankee fan. Dan doesn't care about that. Uh, football season about to get in swing. Dan and Danny, Dan and Danny Moses are going to get into it again on the betting floor. We'll see what happens there. But that's it for Market Call today at one thirty-six. I want to thank CME Group, Dan, where risk in fact meets opportunity. We're powered by Open Exchange. Now I'm going to read this. If you're enjoying our show, Dan, be sure to like the video so you can hit the like button and leave us a comment. Like. Swizz, you talk too much. Or Dan, welcome back. Something like that. By the way, somebody said yesterday that you're the soul of Market Call. You're the lifeblood. I agree with that. We do like to hear from you, good or bad. We'll be back tomorrow, Dan, with Tom Sosnoff of Tasty Trade and the great Carter Braxton Worth 
of Worth Charting. I will see you in New York City in a little while for Fast Money at 5. All right, bud. I'll see you. Thanks, everyone. It's been a pleasure to be back on The Market Call.